This is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. That's Jeremiah 31, verse 15. So we'll all say together, What shall we say in your presence, you who dwell on high? What shall we declare to you who are in heaven beyond? For you know things secret as well as revealed. You know the mysteries of the universe and the unconscious thoughts of everyone alive. You search the inmost parts. You watch our motives and our passions. Nothing is concealed from you. Nothing is hidden from your gaze. So we're going to sing uh, The Lord is My Shepherd, Psalm 23. was a tragedy for all humankind. It portrayed vividly how distorted the image of God may become in human beings. Not just Jews suffered as a result of Nazi policies. 
people of other minority and ethnic groups were also targeted, foremost among these the gypsies. And, of course, Hitler plunged nations into a horrific war in which many, many others lost their lives. Some people were executed as a result of their Christian faith. However, the Holocaust was, and remains, a defining element in the Jewish psyche of our age, in a way that is not true of any other group of people. As a result of the Holocaust, the sole aim of which was clearly the eradication of the entire Jewish population of Nazi-occupied territory, two-thirds of all Jews in Europe perished. They had lived in many different countries for generations and came from all walks of life. All suffering is unique in its own way and one cannot enter into discussions about whose suffering is greatest. However, the Jewish community worldwide has been and still remains immeasurably affected by this terrible, calculated and precisely executed event. As Christians, we should always remember that Jesus himself, his family, his disciples would have perished for no other consideration than that they were of Jewish ancestry. When Pharaoh restored the chief butler to his position, as foretold by Joseph in his interpretation of the butler's dream, he forgot Joseph. From Genesis chapter 40, verse 23, we read, The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Why does the Bible use this repetitive language? It is obvious that if the butler forgot Joseph, he did not remember him. Yet both verbs are used. The Bible, in using this language, is teaching us a very important lesson, said the rabbi of Blutzhof, Rabbi Israel Spira, to his Hasidim. There are events of such overbearing magnitude that one not, ought not to remember them all the time, but one must not forget them either. Such an event is the Holocaust. And this comes from the Hasidic tales of the Holocaust. It began so innocently. The Weimar government in Germany dealt with unemployment so well that other countries in Europe admired it. Law and order issues were tackled. But then a series of laws were passed against one section of the community. They were to have their telephones disconnected, hand over all electrical equipment, not use public transport during the rush hour, wear an identification badge, not use or even enter any public leisure places, hand over all family pets, and mark their homes with a special sign. Would you think it was unfair? Would you help a person that was trying to stop it? 
would you be willing to place your family at risk to do something about it? Pastor Martin Niemöller, a German Christian pastor who became a victim of the Nazis, wrote, First they came for the communists, and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out for me. Before our eyes there passes an almost endless procession of thousands upon thousands of human beings, old and young alike, men, women and children, day after day and night after night, from 1942 to 1945, the freight trains rolled on steadily with their human cargo, herded together like cattle in unbelievable conditions. These pitiful victims were being transported to extermination camps like Auschwitz, Treblinka, Belzec and Sobibor. When this human load was discharged, it was now not dealt with even as cattle would have been. No, what took place would have been shameful even in the treatment of animals. In the hot summer months, as many as 40 dead would be found in a single cattle car. When the few survivors were unloaded, they were so overcome with thirst that they threw themselves into the muddy puddles beside the railway track. The columns began to form and were marched to the first crematoria, where they stood in queues, as though waiting outside a food store in time of famine. Hardly an hour later, flames would begin to shoot skywards. Five giant ovens blazed day and night in Auschwitz. And whenever they were on the point of dying down, more human beings would be brought to replenish those blazing furnaces of wood and human flesh. The stars paled in their livid glow. The air was poisoned by the sickly smell of burning corpses. Nearby were fires in the open where children's bodies were flung, the living as well as the dead. One could hear their screams and see the flames playing round their tender bodies. 
the SS hung two Jewish men and a boy before the assembled inhabitants of the camp. The men died quickly, but the death struggles of the boy lasted half an hour. Where is God? Where is he? A man asked me. As the boy, after a long time, after a long time, was still in agony on the rope, I heard the man cry again, Where is God now? And I heard a voice within me answer, Here he is. He is hanging here on the gallows. How could such things happen? How could such fiendish horrors take place in the 20th century, in the so-called age of human progress? There was something satanic behind it, a passionate rebellion against God himself for having given us a conscience and for making us accountable to him as judge. Only the mind of a person obsessed by hatred could say, as Hitler said to Rauschning, conscience is a Jewish invention and there is no room for two chosen peoples. It was hatred against God because it was to the Jewish people that God had revealed himself through his holy Ten Commandments and through his prophets. Behind it all was envy because the Jewish people and not the Nordic race bore the mark of divine election and had been chosen for a world mission. Hitler was no Christian, but the common teaching of the church that God had finished with the Jews prepared the way for these crimes. Looking back on 2,000 years of Christianity, we have much to lament. From the early days of the uh, sorry, from the days of the early church fathers who claimed that the Jewish people were being punished for murdering God and that they should be continually humiliated. To the age of the Reformation and the advent of Protestantism when the reformer Martin Luther himself called for Jewish synagogues to be set on fire, Jewish homes destroyed, and all Jews expelled from the country. To the modern era and the Holocaust, when international Christian indifference contributed to the closing of doors to Jewish refugees at a time when their lives were, where their very lives were in danger. We and our forefathers have sinned. Let's stand together for our prayers, penitence. O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our God and the God of our fathers, for sins which we have committed and for sins of omission, for sins of our hands as sins of our hearts, for the hurt we have caused you 
and our brothers through ignorance or indifference. We ask your forgiveness. For failure to see your image in someone who is different, for putting our own welfare and social comfort before the basic needs of others, for our reluctance to get involved, we ask your forgiveness. For believing that we are in some way superior to another, for teaching that it is better to receive than to give, for the failure of your church to be a light in the darkness, we ask your forgiveness. We say together the words of the prayer Jesus taught in the Jewish tradition. Let's say together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. And our act of commemoration, where we'll be lighting six candles in memory of the six million Jews who died in the Holocaust. We light this candle in memory of all splintered families and lost communities. We light this candle in memory of smashed lives and destroyed ambitions. We light this candle in memory of bewildered, frightened children. We light this candle in memory of those whose last act was a selfless one. We light this candle in memory of those who lived and died in the service of you and their neighbour. We light this candle in memory of the gypsies, the handicapped, and other men and women who died with the Jewish people in the Holocaust. 
and we say together, Heal our broken world, O God. Change our hearts and give us a spirit of compassion for all who are persecuted because of race, creed or colour. Put upon us the yoke of your kingdom and let our lives express your love to the glory of your name. Continue to stand. We remember the six million who died in the Holocaust. We remember those we knew and those whose very name is lost. We mourn for all that died with them, their goodness and their wisdom, which could have helped the world and healed so many wounds. We mourn for the genius and the wit that died, the learning and the laughter that were lost. The world has become a poorer place and our hearts become cold as we think of what might have been, but now can never be done. We stand in gratitude for their example of decency and goodness, like candles which shine out from the darkness of those years, they show us what goodness is and evil. We remember those who did not die, but still carry the scars of suffering with them in the body and mind. We salute those men and women who were not Jews, but who had the courage to stand outside the mob and suffer with them. They too are God's witnesses, a source of hope when we despair. We pray that the suffering and sacrifice may not have been in vain. May we have strength to fight daily against cruelty and prejudice, against tyranny and persecution, that such times may never come again. Amen. So in silence we remember those who sanctifies God's name on earth. The Kaddish is an old Jewish hymn of praise to God. It is recited at funerals and in memory of the departed but it is emphatically not a prayer for the dead. It celebrates the sovereignty of God and looks forward to a time when the kingdom of heaven will be established throughout the earth. The sanctification of God's name has been seen as the ultimate duty of the Jewish people. Magnified and sanctified, be God's great name in the world which is created according to God's will. May the kingdom of God be established in our life and in our days, and that of all the house of Israel, speedily and soon, and let us say, Amen. May God's great name be blessed forever and ever, blessed and praised and glorified, exalted and honoured, magnified and lauded. Be the name of the Holy One, 
Blessed be God, though high above all blessings, all hymns and psalms which we can utter. And let us say, Amen. Amen. Let there be abundant peace from heaven for us and for all the people of Israel. And let us say, Amen. May God, who creates Salaam, peace and wholeness, wholeness in the universe, create peace for all mankind and for all Israel. And let us say, Amen. And we'll say together, Isaiah 62, verses 1 to 7, and verses 11 to 12. Let's say together. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. Until her vindication goes forth as brightness, and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your vindication, and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be turned desolate. But you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as your bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Upon your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. And finally, the Levitical blessing. I think we should say this together uh, over each other. So we'll say together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.